Hey everybody, it's David. I hope you're enjoying the episode, unless Susan puts this on at the start of the episode, in which case I hope you do enjoy the episode. And also that could be kind of confusing, because what if you're a first-time listener and you don't even know what the premise of the show is? Anyway, if this is not your first exposure to the podcast and you are enjoying yourself, we'd really appreciate it if you could go on iTunes or whatever podcasting app you use and subscribe to us. And then also take a moment to like us and write us a review. It really helps get more people listening to the podcast. Also, if this is the start of the first episode you've ever listened to, then don't worry, because Susan's about to explain the whole premise in, like, five seconds. Hello, and welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture, in order from the very first awards to someday the present year. I'm Susan Araslin. I'm David Daw. And this week we are continuing the 1934 awards with The Gay Divorcee, a musical comedy starring Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire, which is, despite any claims to the contrary, not a remake of The Divorcee. I refuse to acknowledge that because it is not the same. I don't think it is. Like, I was looking at both pages. You've been saying that? It's a remake of a play that is based on a novel, but it's based on, I think, a different novel than the novel that The Divorcee is based on. Because The Divorcee was based on a novel called Ex-Wife, which I do not believe is the original source for The Gay Divorcee which was seemingly an unproduced stage play, which got turned into a produced musical, which got turned into this film. Yeah, okay, well, that makes a lot more sense because, wow, this movie is nothing like The Divorcee. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, you know what I think the confusion is? Is that The Divorcee itself was a remake of an earlier silent version of The Divorcee. Ah, okay, that makes sense. But yes, this is an extremely different film with extremely different thoughts on marriage and much more charming characters generally, although even Fred Astaire cannot pull off being a creepy stalker for fully half of a film. Nope. Which, if anybody on Earth can do it, guys, it's Fred Astaire, so stop fucking trying. It doesn't work. Yeah, Um, when the girl says no... Leave her alone. Mm-hmm. I mean, he pulls off being a creepy stalker. He doesn't pull off being a charming stalker. Yes, you're right. <laughs> so you wanna you wanna hit the plot? Yeah, sure. Uh, it's it's extremely short. There's a sort of opening sequence that establishes Fred Astaire can dance. In case you've never heard of Fred Astaire before in your entire life, <laughs> uh, then he and his lawyer friend get back to England, where he has a meet cute. That isn't actually all that cute with Ginger Rogers' character, where he ends up tearing her dress and pissing her off immensely. He then just travels around London for, like, two solid weeks desperately trying to find her before hitting her car and literally chasing her down into the English countryside to try and get her to give him her number. She then finally has a bit of (laughs) plot that doesn't involve this creepy stalker, where it is explained that she is trying to get a divorce, and in fact is trying to get a divorce uh, with the help of Fred Astaire's character's lawyer friend. They all go, for reasons that are still unclear to me, 
to a seaside resort that looks fucking amazing, by the way. Yeah, where is that? Because I want to go there so badly. Same. Fred Astaire goes there to try and get over this girl. She goes there to finalize her divorce, like you do, by trying to get caught fake cheating to have there be grounds for the divorce, because the world is crazy. But she ends up meeting up with Fred Astaire. The two of them do a dance number that is basically as good as sex, um, (laughs) fall in love, and then kind of have this confusion, cute period where she believes he is the Lothario that has been sent to fake cheat with her to get her out of her marriage. They resolve that confusion, do a big dance number with the help of a guy doing a terrible Italian accent. Then there's a final sequence with her husband where it turns out he's been cheating on her, solving everyone's problems somehow. And then Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers go off to get married, which is, of course, code code for they can finally bone. The end. Yeah, you know what this movie made me think frequently throughout the film was this is going to be the last year of pre-code movies. Because even though by like most standards, this is a pretty chaste movie, I don't even think they kiss until after, you know, it's clear that she's going to actually get divorced. They dance, but it's it's pretty, it's pretty chaste. Yeah. But the Hayes Code in no way will allow after this year for there to be a movie where a woman is trying to get caught for adultery. Yeah. And it kind of made me sad. I was like, oh, this is, we're, we're coming to the end of the pre-code movies. Yeah, it's it's a bummer in that, like, it kind of felt like we were finally getting a handle on how to do it right, too. Mm-hmm. That, like, this handles divorce so much better than the divorcee did. Right, which was like, once you're divorced, your life is over and there could never be joy again. <laughs> One of the things I love is the Broadway musical, when it was a musical, was titled The Gay Divorce. And apparently, for some reason, the code office thought, no, 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 a divorce can't be happy and fun. Now, a divorcee, that's morally upright for them to be happy and fun. And it's like, what the, what the fuck sense does that distinction make? Like, how how is one of those? And the thing is, she's... She's not even a divorcee yet. Yeah. She actually is in the middle of the... She's, like, not even in the middle of the divorce. She's in the middle of trying to get a divorce. Like, there's... No papers have been filed. No one's been to court. Yeah. Where to jump in here? Should we just start at the beginning and kind of now do the, like, musical number plot summary? Which is the important part of the film? Uh, sure. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, the first one is where Fred Astaire and his lawyer friend are having dinner and they forgot their wallets. And the server is like, yeah, I've heard that one before, basically. And so Fred Astaire literally has to perform for their supper. Right, because he's he's trying to say, I'm this famous American dancer named Guy Holden and definitely not Fred Astaire. <laughs> And they're like, sure you are, sure you are, sure you are, prove it, dance, dance for us. Which is the most contrived way to get Fred Astaire to dance in your first scene. But also it gets Fred Astaire to dance, so who cares? But it's also kind of, it's, it's alright. I mean, it's just like, it's a tap dance showcase, which I'm not necessarily wild about. 
And it's also not super duper choreographed. Like, it's still... I couldn't do it. That's for goddamn sure. But it's not as impressive as what Fred Astaire is going to do in, like, literally the very next dance sequence. Yeah, I wasn't wasn't a huge fan of it. And honestly, like, I put the movie on last night kind of late. And I restarted it twice because I kept being like, yeah, what... you know, just kind of zoning out. And then I put it on this morning and I was like, okay, you're slept and you've had coffee. Like, let's just power through this movie. And then it does get good pretty quickly past that, or at least more watchable. Yeah, I think the dance sequences get a lot better very quickly. By the way, I don't know why they tossed away, like, all the music from Cole Porter, for God's sakes, for these original songs for it that are generally speaking blah, Needle in a Haystack is blah, uh, which is the first number, but the actual, like, choreography for it is very impressive. Yeah. Which I just say is generally the case. I wonder if there wasn't some issue with getting rights that they were, like, having to pay by the song instead of, like, getting all of the rights to all of the songs. Because, yeah, Night and Day, which is not my favorite Cole Porter song by any stretch, is head and shoulders the best song in this movie (laughs) oh yeah then they go to england and there's the whole like introduction (laughs) of mimi who is ginger rogers character and her aunt hortense who is the greatest character in this movie and has all of the best lines and was absolutely hysterical I loved Aunt Hortense. And she's actually not that old. She definitely fulfills the normal, like, old lady who is kind of sassy role. But because she's not 65, she actually gets a sort of love story of her own. (laughs) Or at least an attempted one, where she is trying to hook up with Egbert, who is the lawyer friend. Much to his chagrin. Yeah. (laughs) I actually wrote down some of her best lines. So my favorite line of hers comes about, I don't know, halfway through the movie. She asks if she should go along with Mimi to her hotel room. And Egbert says, oh my Hortense, no, you can't remain with her. This is supposed to be a clandestine affair. You can't have a clandestine affair between three people. To which she replies, oh, that's what you say. (laughs) And then at one point, Mimi says, oh, I can't eat a thing, to which Hortense says, oh, dear, you must eat. You can't have a divorce on an empty stomach. Yeah, she's pretty, she's pretty much a one-liner machine. Yeah. I'm just reading now that Robert Benchley apparently made uncredited dialogue contributions, which makes so much sense. Yeah, and they were all Aunt Hortense. (laughs) Yes, I think they were all Aunt Hortense and then, like, two Fred Astaire lines at the very end of the film. Yeah, oh, my other favorite Aunt Hortense line, be feminine and sweet if you can blend the two. (laughs) It's like, yeah, I'm here for that. I'm totally here for that. And then, so what's our next dance number after that? It's not Needle in a Haystack, it's Knockadies, which is Knock Knees. Right? Yeah, after Needle in a Haystack, it's Let's Knock Knees, which I guess Let's Knock Knees was already taken as a title, because otherwise, why did you put the unnecessary hyphens in there, guys? It's weird. Again, the choreography is very good, although it establishes a thing that this movie then kind of does a lot, which is just extend a song indefinitely for every little 
choreography bit they can think of because they get done with the actual song in about two minutes and then spend fully, I'm going to say like four minutes doing like little 10 second choreography bits where like a couple, like one of them will be on top of the piano and another will be playing the piano and then they'll like switch places and like just then there'll be like another couple where a guy comes in and tries to steal the girl but doesn't manage it. Like they just do everything they can think of while just sort of playing the melody of the song over and over and over and over again. Yeah, it goes on for ages. As do, well, there, we'll get to it, but the last musical number in this is fully 13 minutes long. Yeah. And is way too long for it. But interestingly enough, this musical number is performed by a guest at the hotel alongside Egbert. And the guest at the hotel is Betty Grable. Oh, that makes sense. And even though it's at a seaside resort and all of the other dancers, the other women dancers in this number are wearing bathing suits that show off their legs, Betty Grable is wearing a full length gown. We don't get to see the famous gams. Betty Grable is not just wearing a full length gown. She's wearing like a silver jumpsuit that makes it look like she is transported back in time and must seduce Egbert in order to like stop World War Three or something. <laughs> Her outfit is so doesn't fit with the location that it's kind of distracting. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Is it a jumpsuit? I thought it was a gown. I don't, I would have to. Oh no, it is, it is a jumpsuit. Yeah, I'm looking at pictures right now. She is wearing, it's a fabulous jumpsuit. Yeah. Or at least it's like, Trousers and a top that exactly match in the same silk. But I found it really interesting when I realized that it was Betty Grable because, I mean, she was the first person to ever have a specific body part insured, which was her legs, and you can't see them. Right. And you can see Egbert's legs, and he is wearing socks with sandals, and I am not here for it. Well, I'm here for it in the sense of great characterization. Egbert absolutely would wear socks with sandals. That's why I didn't notice that Betty Grable was wearing a jumpsuit, because I was so <laughs> horrified by the socks with sandals. Well, I spent that whole number going like, what's the grift? Like, because she just comes out of nowhere and starts hitting on Egbert, of all people. And you're like, what? what is, ha what's happening right now? And it turns out it's like, no, we just wanted Betty Grable to just do a musical number in the middle of this movie. She doesn't come back again. This has no relevance to the plot whatsoever. She doesn't even have a, a character name. She is listed as guest. <laughs> yeah, so that musical number happens. And then comes the whole discussion of having someone pretend to be Mimi's adulterous lover yes and they bring in rodolfo tonetti who is i is this is this a, is he a, a, an offensive stereotype of italians or just a dipshit who happens to be italian i mean i think you reach this point where you you i mean his name is rodolfo tonetti which is like the cousin Balky's name of Italian names. <laughs> and it's specifically that so that he can make a joke, which he doesn't think is a joke, 
which is, you know, that that's my slogan. Trust your wife with Tanetti. He prefers spaghetti. And like, is that a gay joke? I don't think so, because he has a wife. Like, and that's not a bit like she calls him. He has a phone conversation with her. He talks about their kid. Right. I think the joke is just supposed to be he's that into spaghetti, but then he's not that into spaghetti. Like he's that Italian. Yeah. I've never seen him eat in this movie. No. He seems much more into playing the accordion, but that doesn't rhyme. (laughs) But he's also just the, it's the worst Italian accent. It's the worst. It's another thing where you're like, is this intentional? Is this going somewhere? No. He, by the way, doesn't look even the littlest bit Italian. His painted on mustache is so obviously fake and painted on. The only Italian thing about him is that he is dressed as a stereotypically Italian man. Yeah, like he's always in like very busily patterned silk reclining wear. (laughs) Yeah. He's surprisingly handsome for the dupe character. Sure, but it definitely seems like that thing in like your high school theater group where like just that one time the guy on the soccer team decided he had free time and wanted to try out for a play. Yeah, like he sprained his ankle and was out for the season. Right, and so it's just like this generic handsome guy cast as, well, I guess we do need this character, and like really proud of his Italian accent, like he's worked on it a long time. (laughs) Didn't help at all, but he's been working on it a long time. (laughs) And it it is, it's, it's something. It, it is something. So yeah, basically they set up that this guy who is going to be the fake love interest is not very bright. And he's supposed to have a code phrase that he says to Mimi so that she knows that that's the guy that she's supposed to fake fall in love with. And the code phrase is, chance is the fool's word for fate. Which he bungles and says to pretty much every woman in the place ten times, including Mimi, but he never gets it right. But of course, our hero, Fred Astaire, Guy Holden, whatever, gives her the line because it's his friend's saying. And so she's like, oh, it's supposed to be you. No, it's his saying. It's his saying that Egbert stole. Oh, yeah, right, 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 right. So she's like, well, I guess I have to pretend to be in love with you because you're the one. So, you know, comedy of errors ensues. Right. This is after Night and Day, which is, like, honestly, after the disaster the romance plot has been to this point, it is amazing how immediately you're like, oh, yeah, they're in love. Just from this one musical number, because it's fucking great. And it's Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Singing Cole Porter. And up until then, they have not had a number together. And right. And like, it's great. But then she's like totally fallen in love with him now because they did friggin' night and day together. And then she learns that he, she believes that he is just this Lothario there for her to fake cheat with and is like crushed by it. And then they go up and do uh, like 10, 15 minutes of comedy of errors bits about him being confused about what the hell is going on and her thinking he's a Lothario. 
Oh, we missed Needle in a Haystack. No, I talked about Needle in a Haystack briefly, that it's very, that it's at the very, very beginning, and, like, the song's not that good, but Fred Astaire's, like, dance choreography in it is pretty good. But it's a meh song. Yeah, it's, it's fine. It's better than Let's Knock Knees. Yeah. Every time I say that, I want to punch myself. Yeah. It's weird how much this movie wants its musical numbers to, like, make fetch happen. <laughs> because, like, both The Continental and Let's Knock Knees want to be, like, this dance craze that's like, everybody's doing it, we're all doing The Continental now. And it's like, no one is doing The Continental, dude. Bring Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers back. <laughs> That's, stop it. Then they figure out that actually he's not the guy who's been hired to be the fake boyfriend. Because she's like, so when did you start doing this? And he tells her, you mean being a, being a dancer? <laughs> Basically. Except it takes way longer than that because, of course, this is a comedy of errors. Right. We've gotten to the very, like, edge of credulity where he's said, like, you know, I've been... I've been satisfying thousands of women, basically. <laughs> I bring happiness to thousands. Shop girls. Chorus girls. Just like every... Everything you could vaguely, plausibly, maybe say if you're a dancer, but never would in a million years, that sounds like sex. Yep. And then they have the, the Continental number, which goes on for 13 minutes. And has a, like, seven-minute period right in the middle where Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers are just gone and the entire resort is doing this dance number that seems to require all of the women in the entire resort to go off and do full costume changes in 10 seconds three or four times yes and everyone is dressed in black and white or in black or white. Yeah. And it tries to be Busby Berkeley style and it just is it's I don't know what the, I was about to say, I don't know what the je ne sais quoi is, but that's literally, I don't know what the, I don't know what is. I don't know what the thing is that makes a Busby Berkeley number something you could watch for seven minutes and be utterly fascinated. It's not in this. It's not as bad as that very, very opening sequence thing with the f freaky, like, girls in a carousel who have to do a dance number with little puppets on their hands. Which is like you've kidnapped Busby Berkeley and you have a gun to his head in a warehouse somewhere and you're making him do a <laughs> freaking choreography number for you. But like, it is low rent Busby Berkeley and goes on for way, way, way too long. It again does the thing Let's Knock Knees does where it's just like, oh, so just you just filmed every idea you had. You didn't cut anything. And like, some of it's great. Like some of some of the just huge crowd work stuff is fantastic. Some of it's like the f the fourth time you see women arranged in like rotating doors. You're not as impressed as you were the first time. You start thinking, boy, doesn't anyone in the hotel need to get in or out of the fucking hotel? <laughs> No, they just need to spend five minutes in the revolving door with one girl in white and one girl in black and one girl in white and one girl in black. And then the next time it's two girls in black and then two girls in white. Oh. And then all the girls in black are in one and all the girls in white are in another one. And it's like, just fucking pick one. You do one of those. And I would have been like, this is great. 
and the musical number would have been eight minutes long and like would have it would have been great oh man so you remember how you said trying to make the continental happen yes so as part of the film's promotion rko actually organized continental parties and encouraged ballrooms to teach the dance okay so what part by the way of the 13 minute dance sequence is the continental i'm not sure but the Continental failed to catch on as a popular dance. Because <laughs> if it's the entire goddamn thing that Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers do in there, it's like, yeah, that didn't catch on. 30 people on the planet Earth could fucking do that dance? Like, like maybe 30. <laughs> with, with, like, detailed instruction and a month of filming? <laughs> Like, yeah, yeah. And if it's just the weird thing that that Lillian Miles does where she just like sticks her elbows out like she's doing the funky chicken while explaining (laughs) that everyone does the continental, then it didn't catch on because that's not a dance. That's just standing there. Yeah, that's true. And flapping your arms as if you were a chicken. (laughs) Though, funnily enough, and totally unintended consequence, the set design for that sequence caused an increase in the sales of Venetian blinds. (laughs) So RKO backed the wrong horse. They should have done like a branded the gay divorcee Venetian blinds line. (laughs) Yeah, just invest hard in modernist architecture because you were going to fucking drive prices through the roof with this film. Uh, But again, it goes on way too long, but the stuff with Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers is legitimately incredible. Like, it's great. It's just that they sit down and literally have a glass of tea in the middle of the frickin' musical number. So there can be a big group dance sequence that goes on too long. Oh! Oh! We forgot something important! Okay. So... When they're in her hotel room and they figured out that they're actually in love and they really want to go down to the ballroom and dance, but she's supposed to be caught by private detectives or whatever in being with another man in her hotel room. Fred Astaire cuts out a paper silhouette of two people dancing and puts it on a like a record turntable with a lamp shining onto it so there's a shadow of them dancing around the room. And Toretti is in the room, or is in the hotel room, not in that specific part of the hotel room. And at one point during the Continental, there's a whole (laughs) sequence where he takes an accordion or a squeeze box out onto the balcony to play it. Mm -hmm. Like, this number goes on forever. It actually won Best Original Song, and it was the first Academy Award for Mm. Best Song. So I don't know what else was nominated. <laughs> I've got to say about the old uh, silhouette on a turntable con is there's a line of explanation that he used to cut out paper dolls as a child that has a cute little callback joke to earlier dialogue. But it's also one of those things like how I don't need to see how Batman gets out of a trap. He just does it because he's Batman. You don't need to tell me why Fred Astaire is able to cut out an almost lifelike-looking silhouette of himself and whoever he is with. I just instantly believe that Fred Astaire can actually do that. Yeah, have you seen the guy move? (laughs) There's literally no part of me that's like, "Mm, I don't know if he can do something really precise. Yeah, the, the, (laughs) the paper dolls, by the way, give off a shadow that is just like a full silhouette. Like, has like full defined lips. 
perfectly rounded nose. Like, just absolutely their exact silhouette. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. And he does it in, like, no time flat with nail scissors or something, like. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, no, checks out. That, that, that makes sense. But yeah, so they sort of drink tea and watch, like, the whole big dance number in the middle of this. And I have to say... The big dance number, I found it to be so blasé that when they cut back to Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire drinking tea, I found it to be more compelling. Yeah, a little bit same. Which is also to the credit of Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers having just absolutely amazing screen presence. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily that this was a terrible musical number. Like, I think we've seen more boring big group song and dance stuff for sure. It's just that, like... Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers are worth 150 people dancing easily. Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers drinking tea yeah. are worth 150 dancers. And when they come back at the end and have their second solo, it's very captivating because they're fucking amazing. It just goes on too long. If it were half that length, it would still be too long. If it were a quarter that length... I honestly think if you just didn't cut a single second of the Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers stuff, because what are you, insane? Right. And halved the stuff that didn't have them in it, really just cut all of the extraneous bits that are really just the same bit you've already seen with slightly different costuming, or like now one of the girls is doing a handstand or what the fuck ever, which they just do constantly. If you just did like, here's the big dance number. We're going to have people in the rotating doors. That's pretty cool. We're going to have Lillian Miles sing directly at you. Big finish. Hey, Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire are back. Then it's great. But it like it middles for so long. It does so many variations before you get to Lillian Miles, and it doesn't need any of them. It's way too long. And it comes so close to the end of the movie, I, like, missed the denouement because I had zoned out and had to go back and rewind it and watch, like, how everything resolves. (laughs) And here's how everything resolves. Cyril, who is Mimi's husband, shows up at the seaside resort. Basically does catch them... Egbert brought him and catches Mimi with Tanetti and doesn't believe they're having an affair because he is he's an outrageous Italian stereotype and that's just not who she's down for. But then Fred Astaire comes out and he's like, nah, not buying this one either. Also, I'm not granting you a divorce. I forgive you for the affair you're pretending to have. And she's like, oh, no, I'm doomed. And then the waiter, who has been kind of the setup for all the good one-liners in the movie, has previously established he loves geology because of a guest from three years ago named Dr. Brown, and then refers to Mimi's husband as Dr. Brown and describes Dr. Brown's wife, who clearly is not Mimi, (laughs) which means that the husband was having an affair the whole time. So Mimi can get the divorce and marry Fred Astaire, who I refuse to call Guy Holden because that name is absurd. (laughs) It is not a good name. No, it's it's terrible. It's the name that Fred Astaire checks into hotels as. (laughs) 
So that no one will bother him because who wants to hang out with Guy Holden? Yeah. No offense to anyone whose name is Guy Holden. <laughs> Sorry, all our Guy Holden listeners out there. <laughs> all, none of you, probably. I was going to say eight. I feel like there's just eight guys named Guy Holden all sitting in a living room together right now. Like, oh, man. Oh, we, we love you, but you can legally change your name to Fred Astaire. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and then there's a little final dance sequence that's actually, I think, the choreography is a callback to the choreography in Needle in a Haystack. But now Ginger Rogers is there too, and they, you know, wander off to, and now I'm gonna go sleep with my wife. End of film. Future wife. Right. Yeah, I guess they're not yet married in that coda sequence. It's kind of unclear how far in the future that is. Maybe they just got married at the resort after, you know, being in love for a day. Yeah. You know, like you do. Sure. I mean, that's what, that's what Egbert and Aunt Hortense did. (laughs) That's true. But Aunt Hortense has been married, like, a lot of times. So I feel like she's one of those people who just loves to get married, but doesn't necessarily love being married. Right. And she, I mean, she also has, she has the process down pat by that point. That's true. There's a lot of like, oh shit, we got to like go down to city hall and do the whole, like, Cortance has got that shit on lock. Like, (laughs) she doesn't even, even need to ask anybody. She's like, here's how we make this happen. Yeah. She hasn't had to ask that in like 25 years. Mm -hmm. Oh, and she has that great line about how there's no difference between men except for their ties. (laughs) (laughs) She's so great. She's gonna make a terrible wife, but a really fun aunt or friend. I guess. I would love to be friends with Aunt Hortense. I would still call her Aunt Hortense, though. I feel like you have to. Yeah. I feel like her husbands call her Aunt Hortense. <laughs> that is kind of weird. But uh, also canon, right? Like, But also canon, yeah. I mean, like, it's kind of weird, but it's not wrong at all. So I guess, should we, should we rate this movie? Because there's, like, not, there's not a whole lot to talk about. Like, the sets are, are mind-blowingly beautiful. The seaside resort is unlike anything I've ever seen. And definitely is nothing like the seaside resorts that are in England that actually exist. Yeah. The costumes are great. We didn't really talk about Ginger Rogers' outfit for night and day, which is this evening gown that suddenly reveals itself to be kind of a jumpsuit. When she's got to do like a full fucking ballroom dance scene that is amazing because just the costumes are very, very good in this film. Yeah, I mean, that is definitely that's one of the two unbelievable dresses that she wears in this. I don't love the like floofy off the shoulder thing, but the straps in the back that look like I don't even know how they would have done this in the 30s. But it's it looks like it's just glitter, like a line of glitter crossing down her back is pretty amazing and her dress for the continental is just unreal with these like big feathers on the shoulders and it looks white because it's in black and white but in the colorized poster it's teal which it definitely is not teal in the movie yeah no that makes no sense but then it like goes into black stripes at the bottom that look like feathers it's really great yeah and then fred astaire wears a tux for like 90 percent of the movie right 
Because Fred Astaire wore a tux for 90% of his life. Yeah. I love that, like, even in the scenes in the seaside resort where everyone else is, like, fucking dressed like it's a Frankie and Annette movie, Fred Astaire's just, like, sauntering in with, like, a tux and a slightly casual hat. (laughs) Like, that's that's his one... (laughs) That's the one compromise he's willing to make. Yeah, it's like you take Fred Astaire to, to like, a baseball game and he's wearing white tie and tails, but a baseball hat. Yeah. That that would just be how he would dress. <laughs> Guys, I tried. <laughs> this is appropriate for the situation, right? <laughs> I think it's like he doesn't even realize he's doing it. He just gets dressed. Oh, fuck. It's a tux again. I meant to wear shorts. Guys, I don't know how this keeps happening. <laughs> But yeah, I uh, rating this movie. I'm gonna I'm gonna say a six because it does it has some problems. I like I don't love the plot. I think the plot gets in the way mostly of this film, and I definitely don't love the way their courtship plays out for the first half of the film. It's kind of toxic and off-putting. Yeah, I really I really do not like it because it's super. Like at one point, it's actually dangerous. Yeah, like he almost causes her to have an automobile accident in order to get her number. That is fucked up. Yeah. I'd like, I have nothing to add. Oh, also he does literally commit a crime. She stops in that sequence because of a road closed sign that he reveals he bought from a sporting goods store. And I'm like, my dude, that is illegal. (laughs) Like you do. One, they don't sell those at sporting goods stores. So I want to know the (laughs) real story, but two, like that's a that's a crime. Yeah, there's no a sporting goods store. You he, you know what? He took that side from an actual road closure, and like now people are dead. Yeah. Yeah, I don't love Guy Holden. I really don't. And like by the end, he seems really charming, but the plot does get in the way of that charm, and it really defies belief that after all of this where she has made it very clear that she is disinterested in him and does not want anything to do with him that all he has to do is sing a Cole Porter song to her and she's like oh no never mind let's get married and it's so unnecessary too because all you have to do is like give Ginger Rogers more screen time what a terrible choice to like have their meet cute actually show some chemistry and then have her just say out loud like I'm married Like, it's not that I don't like you. I do like you. I'm married. And then the whole thing is fucking fine. Um, He still gets to pout about it and go to the seaside resort. Right. Like, he still gets to pine for her. Like, it it all works out. And all you had to do was give Ginger Rogers some more lines to be fucking charming. Oh, no. (laughs) Right. And, like, it's it's such a bizarre bad choice yeah. to just have him be this weird stalker dude. Yeah. Genuinely, I think I would forgive the movie almost all of the rest of its flaws. I mean, the rest of, the rest of its flaws are just, like, there's some mediocre choreography and an overlong dance number. Tanetti is, like... I mean, the problem with Tanetti, or the problem with totally writing him off... Is that he's actually quite funny, but it has nothing to do with the fact that he's Italian and everything to do with the fact that he is like a fancy pants who is also a dipshit. Yeah. You know, like the time where he calls his wife and there's a man's voice in the background 
And she's like, oh, it, that's just our son. His voice is changing. And he's like, my son's voice is changing and he's only nine. And you're like, oh, honey. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's supposed to be a language barrier thing that he keeps getting the phrase wrong. But it's also like one of the things I kind of love about it is it's not actually a particularly good or memorable phrase. Fred Astaire literally goes like, yeah, it's just from it's just from my last show. Like, it's nothing. And so it kind of makes sense that you would constantly be like, oh, shit, what was it again? The wheels of fate are can't be left to chance. Fuck, no, that's not it. Like, you don't have to have English be your second language to not remember this dumb phrase. Yeah, I mean, I, I literally wrote it down because I was like, I'm going to screw it up. Now, part of that may also be that I heard it screwed up ten times in the movie. So remembering the actual phrase and not one of the goofs is a little bit more difficult. But yeah, it's not the most memorable phrase. Chance is the fool's word for fate. It's also... It could totally be the opposite. It could totally be... That's what I was be, about to say. Yeah. Like, fate is the fool's word for chance is the more accurate yeah. thing. <laughs> so, yeah, I like I I think the, the big, big flaw is just the way the courtship plays. And then I think it's just like... The plot is just kind of there, which isn't great. But also, like, the plot is kind of not the point. It's not the biggest tragedy in the world that the plot kind of sucks in this film because Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers dancing definitely doesn't. And like, that's what you're here for. For me, I think that I think this movie is a five, but Aunt Hortense brings it up to a six for me. So I'm going to go with a six with you. Okay. But like minus Aunt Hortense, this movie is absolutely a five. That makes some sense to me. Because she has... All the funny and all the clever lines in here, even though she herself is not portrayed as particularly clever, it's that the writing of her is really clever. Should you watch this movie is, I feel like, a tougher question. Oh, yeah. Because I wish I had, like, an encyclopedic knowledge of Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers films to go like, oh, no, 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 this isn't their best work. You obviously should instead watch the 1937 film. Like, I don't. I don't like I I know they're good. I've seen clips of them in other films. They're also very good there. But like I could not tell you the Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers film to watch. But I do kind of feel like maybe maybe just kind of watch the dance numbers from this one if you can. Well, we are going to watch another Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire movie for 1935. So very soon. Yeah. So maybe maybe hold on uh, and and. We'll, we'll tell you which of the two Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers films to watch. Yeah, that that is going to be, it is going to be like 10 episodes from now. But I feel like if you watch this movie, like you're not going to walk away from it angry, but you might feel like you kind of wasted two hours. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's slow going outside the musical numbers, I will say. And even within one of them. Yeah. I love that they put all this effort into trying to make the Continental catch on. Because that's, that's like, first of all, the movie was popular anyway. Like, it, it still was a very popular movie. So, like, they didn't need to put that time and energy and probably, like, money into trying to make a dance craze. But also, like, you can't make money off of the dance craze. Yeah, it's such a weird way to market a film. It's not like it's not like they opened continental specific dance places that you had to pay to get into. They just like went to ballroom dancing schools and were like, "Hey, can you guys promote this?" <laughs> it's really really bizarre choice there. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say like hold off on watching this. 
It, it didn't do anything for me. Especially given that we're going to have another one, like, in ten episodes. It seems like it makes more sense to just, like, watch and see if we get a better Fred Astaire Ginger Rogers vehicle next time. Though Flying Down to Rio, which was not nominated for 1932-1933, was their first one together, which was apparently such a smash hit that they wanted to partner them up again. And then did, over and over again. Yeah, but I don't know how, uh, how successful it was though one of the songs from it did become a popular tango song they did start that dance craze yep though that's fred astaire and dolores del rio who danced to that one and not fred and ginger weirdly enough one thing i want to say is that we are now one year from watching the wizard of oz oh we're 52 weeks out we are 52 weeks out from watching the wizard of oz which is really where things start to pick up yeah it's a it's a good year it's a good year that we can look forward to a year from now yeah i i thought what you were going to say is uh that next week we've got a little bit of a change of format because that's true uh next week we would be watching the white parade but it is uh once again in the sealed cia vault at the ucla film archive (laughs) that we have to we're still planning the heist but until then we are going to do what we did back the last time this happened and switch it out from another movie from uh, this year which we checked and it actually is from this year this time oh but don't say i want it to be a surprise okay i it will be a surprise then so it will be it will be a halloween surprise for our halloween episode yeah uh so you know if you want to hit us up on our email and uh drop a guess as to what we're watching next week until then here here's uh, the clue oh. it came out in 1934 it was not nominated, but it maybe should have been, because it is definitely a movie that is considered to be a very fine movie, and it is Halloween appropriate. So if you know what it is, hit us up at screentestoftime at gmail.com, and you can guess. As you were saying, though. Yeah, uh, this was a movie. I, it, it just was. It, it was a movie. I'll, I'll say this about it. It was not the best movie in this year, but it was finally a movie that was just fine instead of horrible. Yeah, I think it would have been the best movie of last year. Like, of of 32-33. Uh, no, Lady for a Day was still better. You're right, Lady for a Day was still better. Yeah. But man, that was like... We've watched a couple of Lady for a Day level films this year, or at least ones that would have given it a run for its money, and it was just far and away the best film. Uh, but... We will get to the discussions of this film versus the rest of the films from 1934 in two weeks uh, when we finish off with Imitation of Life, uh, our last Claudette. No. What? What? Oh, shit. Got flirtation I walk. keep forgetting Flirtation Walk because I feel like it's a prank. Every time I look at the poster, <laughs> I feel like someone, like God is pranking me that this film called Flirtation Walk with this poster is a real thing that happened in the world. Uh, like somebody put it on, on Wikipedia and nobody has actually refuted it. Yeah. Like, like, this is not a real thing. Mm-hmm. But like, it's a Wikipedia prank. Yeah, like, <laughs> well, I guess we were going to find out in about three weeks. <sighs> and to wrap up again. This, this was, this a, was movie. a movie. The flirtation walk may be an elaborate mass hit, like, <laughs> hallucination. We'll we'll find out. Goodbye. Goodbye.
bad tune. What is it? The newest thing over here. It's called the Continental. Continental? Mm-hmm. Oh. I like it. That's the second thing I've found I'd like to take back home with me. You know the words? 